Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time at a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. Pray in these moments that we might be more aware of your presence, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. No matter what place we find ourselves in, Lord, um, if our hearts are open to you, you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And so we just ask that uh, your presence would be real for us this morning and that our hearts might be open to you and to hear what you might have for us today, what your kingdom looks like in our lives, Lord, and how we can follow Christ in a deeper way. Uh, so be with this time uh, and be with my the feeble words and my feeble voice this morning. And may you turn them for us into the music and the power of the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Continuing our time in the gospel of Mark. Um, we could also say we're continuing our time and in, in seeing how the disciples just don't get it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's the... The dense disciples, the 12 dense disciples. But uh, we get to learn from their mischief. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. And when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. What do you daydream about? Uh, I, I can be a big daydreamer. I really can be. I, Rebecca's made fun of me. I, I can zone out with the best of them and be three worlds a, away. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's usually thinking about what I got to do that day or the, you know, a couple of days later. Um, you know, but usually it's, it's about something I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I can, huh? A project, a project right. I, I, I daydream, she said a lot about projects. I'm working on the Airstream right now and trying to get it ready. But what, really what I'm daydreaming about is, you know, we have this big trip coming up in August, uh, a vacation. We're going to go camping out west is the plan. And, and I'm just kind of daydreaming about that. Man, how great is that going to be? That's going to be fun to relax and you know, take it easy a little bit and be camping out in the woods. Uh, <clears throat> to be honest with you, uh, sometimes I, 
I, you know, I listen to interviews. We all see people get interviewed in different things, whether it be a celebrity or, you know, I have some uh, kind of spiritual podcasts I listen to and hearing people. Sometimes I daydream, well, what it, would it be like, what would I say if I was getting interviewed here? You know, what, what if I was, you know, being asked about all the things I thought about all these things? I'll daydream how I'd answer about that, right? And if I'm being really honest, you know, sometimes I think each of us have daydreamed about, you know, what if I got that award? Or what if people really recognized my gifts and talents and, and saw something important in me, right? I don't think I'm the only one that is in daydreams about such things, right? Uh, perhaps people would recognize my greatness or genius or something like that. Um, daydreams can tell a lot about the desires of our hearts. I once heard a professor at Treveca tell a story. He was a psychology professor, and it's not a daydream per se. It's an actual dream, but he tells the story that, to a class. It was a, a, a president of the college, a, a number of presidents ago, came up to him as a psychology professor and said, hey, I, I've been having these dreams. I, I, didn't know, you know, I know you guys talk about dreams in a class, he said, I keep on having this dream of me flying. Uh, I keep on dreaming that I'm flying through the air. What does that mean? And, and the professor kind of told a fib and was like, oh, I don't know. And then uh, the president left and he turned to the professor next to him and said, I didn't have the heart to tell him, but that dream pretty much is textbook narcissism. Uh, you know. <laughs> so he didn't dare tell his boss that he's a He's being a little narcissistic in his dreams. Uh, you know, being caught in our dreams and our daydreams is a little embarrassing, right? It's kind of that, that interior of our heart where we're thinking about what we desire, what we're looking for, and being caught in those can, you know, kind of let the cat out of the bag, be a little embarrassing. And that's what we have a story about today. Uh, we see the, yeah, the, the disciples are arguing, <laughs> but they're really kind of daydreaming about what's to come, Right? Uh, they've been following Jesus, and, and yeah, times are a little hard right now. Jesus isn't you know, seen as the Messiah everywhere, but they're banking on the fact that Jesus is going to come into his kingdom, and uh, they're going to be you know, the inner party. They're, they're the 12 disciples, and, and so they're daydreaming what that day is going to be like, which leads to an argument. And that argument is, well, who's going to be the greatest? Who among us will be really in charge? Who among us is the real number two in this clan, right? What brought this on, though, <laughs> is we saw, and we looked at it very much in depth last week, we, we saw the first teaching of Jesus teaching about why he must walk a road of suffering, why he must be rejected and even killed as the Messiah, and that's God's will for him. And we talked in depth about that. And if you, if you weren't here last week, I, I'd really encourage you to, uh, to listen. Once we post that on the internet, uh, listen, and it'll give you a deeper understanding what these teachings of Jesus are. And they, we talked about they are, they are not predictions just trying to predict the future. They are actual teachings about what it means to be faithful to God and what it means for Jesus to be faithful to God and, and bring God's kingdom into the world. And so once again, we, what we saw, though, is that allowed Jesus to teach him what it meant to be a disciple, that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That was last week's sermon. I won't preach it again. But we see this week again, uh, they don't get it. 
They're struggling to understand uh, what that means. It's so counter to what they expected from the Messiah. So Jesus has to keep teaching them. And so here he's telling them again uh, that he will uh, suffer, he'll be betrayed, and he will die, and yes, he will be raised back from the, the dead. And, and this time they just don't say anything. They, they still don't get it. They, boy, this is weird. But this time they've learned they're just going to keep their mouth shut, right? Because they don't want to be called a devil. Uh, last week we wa- looked at Peter, piped up, said, Jesus, get these crazy ideas out of your head. This is nonsense. And, and Jesus called him out in front of all the disciples. So at least this week, what they've learned is we just won't say anything. <laughs> we don't get it, uh, but we're going to keep our mouth shut. We don't understand why Jesus must walk a road of suffering and we looked at last week why we too must walk roads of, of suffering and denying ourselves. Um, and so they don't get it. They keep their mouth shut. But on the road, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And their argument really shows us they really don't get it. Um, because here in their minds, they are still arguing about a hierarchy in the world. Who's top dog? Who's going to have power? What's it look like? And and they don't get it because obviously Jesus is the greatest of them all. And yet they're arguing who's the greatest. And what they really don't get is the true identity of greatness because they don't get Jesus' teaching. And so Jesus knows their hearts. He probably overheard them arguing. <laughs> Sounds like uh, it got pretty heated on the road. And so Jesus calls them together and asks them a question. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's always a teaching moment. He says, hey, what were you talking about on the road? And, you know, they didn't want to say anything because they were embarrassed. They were caught in their daydream, their collective daydream. Oh, he caught us. You know, we shouldn't be arguing about that. Um, and he, he teaches them. He says, whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be greatest, must be last and must be servant of all. And I know most of us have heard that throughout our lives at different points, but I want us to realize for the disciples, that's nonsense. We all know you don't, you don't get first in a race by being last in the race. None of us tell our kids that, hey, you want to be first in that race? Just show up last. They'll give you a big trophy, right? We don't tell our kids that. Um, and, you know, you might say, how dumb are the disciples? Why are they arguing about that? They are so immature. They lived in a different culture. And in this culture, and in many ancient cultures, your place in society was very important. And we might understand that because, I mean, really, what place in society you were born into set the trajectory for your life. Uh, If you were high-born, if you were low-born, that's where you were going to stay in life. And so, in everything in life, they, they just had this understanding. They would walk in a room, and they would just start mentally parsing out who is that supposed to sit at the head of the table who is supposed to sit closer to the head of the table who needed to sit down here it was just it was so ingrained in life and so yeah you know we might not go around arguing who's the greatest uh, but for the disciples and for this culture it was very important so to hear Jesus say these words just like what is he talking about they're not going to get it and I know we live in a culture where it's really impacted by Judeo-Christian ideals. And, and I know we live in a culture where we like to see people serve and we like to see servant leaders, right? We like to see the undercover boss. 
Um, you know, that, that is present in our culture, but the reality is, is we're not too different than that, from that ancient culture, and we're not too different from the disciples that don't get it. Because I don't have to tell you, but what does our culture look up to? Who are the people that we lift up and we give awards to and, and, and we prize and we pay attention to, right? It's the smartest, it's the strongest, it's the richest, it's the most beautiful, it's the, all the people that come in first. Uh, our culture is steeped, and it's just not our culture, it's, it's human history, right? Uh, we, we are competitive beings, it is in the human heart to compare ourselves to one another and want to be the greatest and want to be over our neighbor. I, I think about the first real act of sin, Cain and Abel. Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Because he didn't want to be lesser than. He didn't want his brother to be better than him. And so he kills him. We in human history, history itself is just one conquest after the other of trying to be greater than other people vying for control. Our culture and our world, it's all an effort to have people serve you. That's what real power is in our world, right? If people listen to what you say, if they'll do what you want them to do, then you have real power, then you have real greatness. And I want to see in our culture as well, and what we live in 98% of the day, Jesus' words don't make a lot of sense. They don't fit the bill. And our, our culture's pull towards being the top dog, being the smartest, being in control, being power, being served is so unreal. It's preached to us from a very early age. It is our entire history as humanity. And so Jesus comes in, and it shouldn't be a surprise to us that is so countercultural because he's bringing in a different kingdom. He's bringing in the kingdom of God, and he's talking about this is what God's kingdom looks like. And so, of course, it's going to be different than the kingdoms of this world. But I don't want you to hear this this morning. I, sometimes we might hear that and say, oh, okay, well, I just got to give up trying. You know, all right, Jesus doesn't want me coming first. I got to come in last. Well, I just won't do much. I'll just, uh, you know, kind of sit here and look at my phone till I die, and I just, I'll be last. You know, people will forget about me, right? Yeah. That's not what Jesus is saying. And he's not saying that you need to be a doormat so that anything goes and you just kind of lay down on everything. Oh, woe is me. I just, you know, he's not saying that either. And in fact, what he's saying is he is calling us to true greatness. He is calling us to action. He, he is not saying just let it all go and just let, let be what, what, let be, you know, let live, let people live however they want. Just do whatever you want. He's not saying that. He is calling us to greatness, but what he is doing is he is, he is redefining greatness. He is redefining what it means to be first, what it means to be in a powerful position in the kingdom of God of God and what that looks like. And what Jesus is saying is true greatness. There is true greatness, friends. There is real glory in the kingdom of God. But what that is, it means to be a servant of all. It means to put yourself in a lowly position. It means to have the humility that you are willing and want to serve 
And you don't have to have the accolades and you don't have to have the attention and the power of this world to be that. What Jesus also isn't saying is, hey, just fake it. Just act like you're humble. Oh, just act like you like to serve until you get to heaven and then it'll just be. No, my friend. What he's saying is this is really what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what God wants from us. This is what true greatness looks like for all time. What Jesus is revealing to us is the very heart of God. And true power and true greatness means that we are a servant, that we take the lowly road. It it is the upside down kingdom. It is opposite of the kingdoms of this world. But that is good news for us. But it goes a, a little deeper than that. And Jesus uses this illustration. He, uh, <clears throat> he takes a child. A child seems to be around. Excuse me. He takes a child and <clears throat> sets him in the middle of them and, and says, hey, take account of this child. Now, sometimes we read this and we kind of proof text this a little bit. and it, It's a sweet verse. Um, it, it really is. And we, we should... Uh, Think about how we care for children very much so. Uh, But it it gets to a deeper level. We're just not talking about just children here. Uh, The child is is a representation uh, of what Jesus is talking about and teaching them about the kingdom. Children during this time period, it was much different than this time period, right? Children are revered as they should be. They're, They're cherished. And it's not to say that children weren't loved and cherished during this time period, but again, in a very hierarchical society, children were at the bottom of the pile, and it was understood to be that. We see that other places in the Gospels. The disciples are like, you know, get the kids out of here. They don't belong here, and, and Jesus shows concern for the children. Uh, children uh, were the lowest rung, and that was clear in society. In fact, the, um, the Aramaic word for child, which a lot of scholars think that they actually spoke Aramaic, they didn't speak Greek during this time period. The Aramaic word for child is the same word for slave or servant. And so that's where we see this kind of seems a disconnected illustration in our language, but for them, they totally understood what Jesus was being, is saying here, right? Um, and so he calls this child in to say, the one who welcomes the child, the one who shows hospitality and kindness and and serves one like a child, welcomes and serves me. And the one who welcomes and serves me welcomes and serves the one who sent me. Whoa. Now Jesus went from just redefining what greatness looks like and brought it into the realm of if you really want to serve and be close and host God, who is the most undeniable, most powerful, greatest singularity in, in the universe in existence, obviously, then you need to serve the lowest of society. You need to so much so that you don't even take stock of where people stand, whether they're great or whether they're lowly. You don't even see the world in that frame that you would look at a child, that you would look at someone who you thought was beneath you and you would treat them just the same as you would anybody else, that you would serve 
even one such as a child, and I think that still plays in our culture today, but I just want us to realize that the child isn't, Jesus isn't just speaking to, about children here. He's speaking like in Matthew 25, that what we do to the least of these, we do to Jesus and to God himself. And so Jesus calls the disciples and says, if you want to be great, then you need to serve those who are in the lowest positions in society. He's not trying to be sentimental. He is drawing us into the reality of what it means to truly serve God and to truly be great in God's kingdom. This is the kingdom perspective. This is what it means to follow Christ, to, to live in God's kingdom, that we have this fundamentally reoriented understanding of what greatness looks like and what our heart's desire really is. <coughs> I'm, I'm a little concerned, though, you know, that you're going to say, oh, oh, pastor, that's a nice sermon. Isn't that a great idea? You know, just pat, pat pastor on the head. You know, that's, that's just a great idea. Wouldn't that be great if the first were last and the last were first? But pastor, we live in the real world. You know, just, that's a nice 20-minute sermon. But we're going to go out there. we got to live in the real world. We all have bosses. We're all trying to climb the ladder. I'm worried that this maybe 25, 30-minute sermon. We'll see. Depends how fast you listen. Uh, I'm worried that this is a drop in the bucket against the tidal wave of pressure of our culture brings to us every day. So I want to ask, is this reality? Can we do this? Because frankly, even in the church sometimes, the church just becomes a mere hierarchy of what's out in the world, right? Uh, that we just kind of operate in the same way. How do we do this? What does this look like? Here's the real key I believe, to, to living this out. I mean, it's no secret to us. It's, it's not revolutionary. But the only way that we can really see the world in this way, the only way that we can live this out, and it, it can be our definition of greatness, is, is if we come to Christ and we really, as we say, die to ourselves. That we come to Christ and, and we, we, we really lay down our identity. That I lay down my identity of Andrew Crimmins and we, we talk about, you know, this is what it means to be saved, that, that I stop trying to save myself, that I, I put my trust in Jesus. But what we believe happens in that is that I lay down my identity as Andrew Crimmins and I pick up the identity of Jesus Christ, that I, really I find myself in Jesus Christ, right? That I take on, I'm a part of the body of Christ now. For me to live is Christ. Paul says, right? So we take on this new identity. What happens with that is now I don't have to compete. Now I, I don't have to prove to myself or others that I'm valuable, that I'm of worth. That, I, that Now I don't have to compare myself to others because I know who I am. Who I am is, is safe and secure in Jesus Christ. We are set free from this comparison struggle. We are set free from the hierarchies of this world and, and whether we're good enough or not. And we receive this new identity that is pure grace that I don't have to work for. I, I don't have to earn. I can't improve on. Jesus has already done it. He, he has run the race. He has given his life so that we can be a part of him. 
And so when I receive this new identity in Christ, I really am set free. Um, Now I don't have to feel bad about who I am. I don't have to deal in shame. I don't have to deal in pride because I know who I am in Christ and I am set free now to be a servant of all because I don't care what people think about me. I I don't care how they see me and I really don't care about the hierarchies of this world. It is only when we come to Christ, when we take on that new identity that we are able to be last not hurt we are able to strive after true greatness so i want to ask us this morning what is your identity i really think this is the secret to the spiritual life i see even christians struggle so much with uh self-worth or trying to prove themselves or still trying to operate by the world's hierarchy and i think the question really comes down to how do i see myself Do I wake up daily and see myself as a part of Christ, that my identity is in a child of God because of what Christ has done for me, or am I still trying to prove myself? Am I trying to earn my spot in this world? And friends, it's it's freeing to come to Christ and to know who you are, to be set free. And then we are free to pursue true greatness. Then we are set free so that we can be a servant of all. And I'd say as we grow in our spiritual lives that our minds are changed. I I can't tell you that you're going to walk out of this door. um, You know, if you you lay down your life to Christ, you're going to walk out this door and you're never going to worry about who's top dog again, right? Um, you know, it's, it's ingrained in us so deeply. What, what I believe is that the grace of God continues to work on us if we allow it. And day in and day out, as God's grace works in us, we really believe and trust in our identity and our mind is transformed to see the world in a different way. That's how we will live it out. And what does it mean to live it out? Right, what? What does this look like? Is it, are you saying, Pastor, I just got to do all the grunt work? Uh, I just got to, you know, I got to wash all the dishes? <coughs> well, I think it, <coughs> it is about grunt work, but it's much bigger than grunt work, right? Uh, I, I do think there is some practical terms of, you know, no matter who you are, you know, what position you hold, or there, there's no job too small for you, that there's no job, there's no work, there's no service that's beneath us, right? Um, and so for any of us, especially in the body of Christ, that when we see this, uh, there's nothing too small for us to take on. Just like there's no person too beneath us or, or anything like that that we can help. There's no job too small for us, right? Sometimes, you know, let's just, let's just, pastors are going to do some real talk now. Sometimes we've called it, you know, men's work and women's work, right? Right? Um, I'm fine with the division of labor in the household. That's fine if you want to split up the duties. It shouldn't all be on one person to do all the duties. And so if a certain person wants to take this or a certain person, but sometimes we've used that as an excuse for us men to say, well, that works beneath me, right? In a patriarchal society. And it, I'm just here to tell you, men, there better not be any work that's beneath you. There's no such thing as women's work and men's work. You divide up the labor however you want in your household. Uh, but we should, all of us, there's no job too small for us, uh, whether we're men or women or anything. Um, and so 
We, we come to life and we, we are willing to take the lowest position and to serve. And that means grunt work sometimes. But you know, there's, there's different forms of servanthood. Sometimes servanthood does look like leadership. I mean, I think about our board members. They don't serve on the board because it's fun. Is it fun, Judy? No, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. And, and, and yeah, they make decisions and different things, but it's an act of service to take, um, you know, to take leadership on sometimes. And that's what service sometimes looks like. But the bigger issue is, is I, I don't want you going out of here, okay, I gotta make sure I wash the dishes so many times this week. I really want you to see and what Jesus is talking about, he is inviting us into the kingdom of God that we understand this is an entire paradigm shift in how we understand the world, how we understand our lives, how we understand the church. And we are, really have to live that out. And I really believe that affects the trajectory of our lives. I really think it impacts the desires of our hearts, the daydreams that we have. I think we need to start our kids on an early age. I, I, we need to teach our kids to strive for greatness and, and, and do the best that they can. But I think we need to be careful that they don't just see life as this upward climb, that I'm just trying to climb higher and higher into the world. Um, that I think for many of us, what we're talking about, that the climb of the spiritual life is downward that we are going lower and lower. Why? Because that's where God is. Jesus says, I'm with the children. I'm with the lowly and the humble. When you serve them, you're serving me. And so the question for us is, will we be willing to see the world in this way? Are we willing to lay down my trophies, what I've accomplished, what I've earned, and will I trade it in for a new identity in Christ? Because by doing so, you're saying, I'm not going to trust in those things anymore. I'm only trusting in what Christ has done for me. But that's when you're set free. That's when you can achieve true greatness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, might uh, we hear a word from you. Might you speak to us about what this looks like in our lives, Lord. We, we want to follow you. We, we want to have greatness in the kingdom of God, Lord. And, and so would you teach us what it means to live in our new identity in Christ. And may we receive grace for the journey, to live this out, strength for the journey, Lord. And in this time of communion and prayer, may it strengthen us, draw us closer to you, may our minds and our hearts be changed. May the elements of communion be for us the presence of Christ. And may that challenge us in the days to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As our servers come down and, and we prepare to respond, I think we all have room to respond. This is one of those sermons that is, I can guarantee for every one of us, um, that if nothing else, some of us just need a reminder and a tune-up of what true greatness looks like. But for some of us, we, we might need to come to that decision where we lay our lives down and, and, and die to ourselves and take on the identity of Christ, where we put our trust in Christ and live in a different way, in a new kingdom. And for some of us, we just need to be woken up a little bit that we've been 
playing by the world's game too long. And we need to see what true greatness looks like. We, we don't believe that you need to be a member of this church to partake in communion. All that we ask is that you've made a decision to lay down your life and to take on the identity of Christ, that you trust in Christ. And then you'll, we invite you to come down and partake in communion, take of the bread, dip it in the cup, And we believe that this is a means of grace. This is a way that God's grace works in us. And so this is a way that God is shaping us, informing us, and molding us. I also invite you to take this as a time of prayer. You can pray in your seat before you come down for communion. You don't have to wait in line. You can can just take time to reflect before you come down. You you can pray at an altar. You know, an altar is a great place to pray. It's kind of just like communion. It's a physical way of acting out our desire for God and and coming to God. And so I'd invite you to pray in an altar before or after you receive communion, anything that God's laid on your heart. But I think it's fitting as we, what we're practicing, what we're praying about, what we're thinking about in this time of communion is that Christ gave his life so that we could be joined with him. He gave his life so that we could take on a new life in Christ. He served. The greatest of all came and served and offered himself for you and me. And so I don't want us to lose that fact that when we take of the bread and we take of the cup, we are enjoying the grace and the service of God himself. So how do you think you should live? if this is how God lived for us. On the night our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you're ready, come accept the service of Christ our King. Church family, would you stand with me? May you be those weird people that don't run to the front of the line, but you run to the back. May people see in our church and in our lives a different kingdom, and a different greatness. May we always follow and serve Christ, no matter the cost. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.